0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday, the 24th of January, 2010, entitled, Jesus in Our Midst. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Really some simple thoughts this evening, but uh, there's something that the Lord had, uh, had laid upon my heart. And I'm going to invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's holy word. Beginning in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, and reading down through verse 20. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck than that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. It must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. And cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. The Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that one which is gone astray? If so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, Verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven again. I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask it shall be done of them, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Father, we thank you so much this evening, Lord, that we can gather in this place with its warmth and its comfort this evening. Father, we have this place that we can come together, that, Lord, our heart's desire is truly to to worship you this evening. And, Lord, we trust and pray that, Lord, the words that have been spoken, the music that has been played, the songs that have been sung, the prayers that have been prayed, Lord, that it's all been pleasing to you and that's brought glory to you. Father, we thank you for our word, your word that we have now had the privilege of reading from. Father, thank you for preserving it for for all of these years. We thank you for your Spirit that lives and dwells within. Father, we know that it's that Spirit that can quicken these words and make them alive into our hearts. And for that, we pray this evening. We pray, Lord, that you would take and that this time would be used. That Father, we could get the self, the flesh, out of the way, and that somehow that your Spirit could speak to us the words that are most needed. And Father. You know every heart here this evening. You know what the greatest need of that heart is. Father, though we could never accomplish the task, we pray that You'll meet those needs as only You can, Lord, that we would be receptive to that which You have for us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, there's a lot of things that we could look at here this evening, and uh, we could take a long time doing it. But I really want to focus our attention our primary thought this evening on the last verse that we read there in verse 20, which says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of thee. A simple thought, Jesus in our midst. I didn't even have to do a whole lot of thinking on that. It's right there in the scriptures. Jesus in our midst. Now, of course, this chapter began back in verse 1 with a question. And a question was asked of the Lord Jesus, and He is answering that question. In verse 1, the question, it says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, we're not going to go back to this morning's service, but if you remember this morning, we saw in looking in our series on the truth about Satan, that the thing that got to Satan when sin first entered into him was that thing called pride. And we also understand that if we're honest, that every human being has to deal with pride sometimes. We like to be appreciated. We like to be told thank you. We like to, for for somehow somebody to recognize the good things that we do. And it's a struggle for us sometimes. Of course, you know the old saying, as soon as you realize that you've become humble, you just lost it. Uh, And the truth is, is that that's always something that we all struggle with. But that's really one of the things that the Lord is dealing with here because the truth is they're worried about who's going to be the greatest uh, when they get to heaven. Who's going to have the best position? Who's going to be in the, in the best place there? And of course, you know, the Lord also knew that there was another question that was coming there in, in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And of course, we find that Is answered here in pointing to these things that were on his disciples' minds at this time, was the importance of humility, of not bringing offenses against others, with the emphasis upon those who would be the easiest hurt by it, the children. I believe that here, and and I guess some people, if they're around me long, they'll know that there's there's one thing. I guess as a pastor, I've had to learn to. Be patient about and with a lot of things, especially myself. But there's one thing that I find very, very difficult. And if you want to see your pastor lose some of his righteous indignation, then you start messing with one of the children around here. And of course, the Bible says that it's better for somebody rather than to, uh, to offend that young one that a millstone were cast around, was tied around his neck, and that he'd be cast into the sea and drowned. He'd be far better off than the consequences of offending one of those young ones. And I think, yes, I think specifically, especially talking to those that that would be young physically, but I believe also spiritually that the same thing applies there. We find time and time again in Scriptures our responsibility towards those that are weaker, those that are maybe less mature, those that are less able to care for themselves. I've shared with you, and God is still working upon me, how that you know some i don't know 30 some years ago whenever it was i'm afraid to start counting back see how long ago it was how that one of the one of the verses in scripture that had such an effect on my life in so many ways even though i'd heard it so many times was romans chapter 14 verse 21 where it says it is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak not to do anything that would make me stumble but that I wouldn't do anything, to make my brother stumble. That's a tough one sometimes when we know that the Bible teaches us over and over again that we should always be considering others above ourselves in our lives and our testimonies and all the things that we do. And of course, Jesus is bringing out the importance here of each individual, the very purpose in his coming. His purpose in coming, he tells us there very, very clearly. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Man had no hope without the Lord Jesus Christ. There was absolutely nothing, and that was His whole purpose in coming. And He loves each and every one. And the truth is, is that His sacrifice was sufficient, but the problem is, is that He also knew that there would be many, as we saw this morning, many that would reject, many that would even have their hearts hardened. You know, that's a hard thing for us to think about, When, you know, I believe that we're perfectly, perfectly honest in saying that, you know, man can have his heart hardened by God himself. And we find that he, especially when writing to the church at Thessalonica, the very reason that that was happening was because that they had rejected the truth and then their hearts were hardened and they were allowed to believe a lie and to be damned, the Bible says. And so we need to be very, very careful. Now, not only do we see the importance here of not offending others, but the importance that we have as Christians in taking the initiative when we have been offended by someone else. You know, the thing is, when we look into God's Word, the responsibility is really never on him or her. The responsibility is always on me. First of all, it's my responsibility not to be the one offending someone else. And then we find here in this passage that It's my responsibility that if somebody else has offended me, it's my responsibility to go to that individual and to make absolutely certain that I've done everything in my power, even when it's something that I haven't been able to do myself, if necessary that I take someone else back with me, if necessary that I bring the whole church in to get involved, that this not remain there as a barrier between you and another individual. It's always me that has the responsibility. And boy, that is hard sometimes. And we've talked about this before because so many times it's it's true when we can say, but look what they did to me. You know, I don't deserve this. It's true. So many times when we can say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. The truth is none of us deserve to be forgiven. The truth is If it weren't for God's love, which is beyond us understanding how He could love us in the first place in the condition that we're in, while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us, died for us. But the truth is, is that maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe what they've done has been atrocious. But aren't you glad that God loved you enough that when you didn't deserve forgiveness, when you didn't deserve love, He took the initiative? He's the one that took the initiative to come to you. And, you know, He's trying to get us to do the same thing. Let Christ be seen through us. It is. It's not just hard. Mark it down. It is impossible to behave in this fashion in our own strength. Impossible, folks. It will never come natural to the flesh. It is only because when the Spirit is controlling us, when we allow Him to have control that we're able to allow Christ to do that through us that we would never, ever, ever accomplish by our own strength and our own selves. We find that humility, compassion, mercy, charitableness, cooperation, accountability, and we even find here, yes, the central place of the church as well in all of this. We could look other places. You know, it's not for us to go to the world and get their counselors and their courts and everybody else to resolve problems between believers. We find that God's not part of their lives anyway. We saw this morning the the judgments of this world, how wicked that, and perverted that they are. But God's judgments are never wrong, and His are the judgments that we need on every matter in our life. We find that in Ephesians chapter five. Again, I'm sure that uh, a familiar passage to to all of you. I started to say most of you, but probably to all of you this evening. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How important is the church? Important enough that the Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for it. The Lord Jesus Christ, and, I, and I know we've, we've talked about this some lately, it, it is beyond us. It is beyond us to even comprehend an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God. That nothing ever occurred to him. That he knew every every thought and every action that that you would ever make before that you ever existed. As a matter of fact, before he'd even planned this world, he had already planned your salvation. We can't comprehend those things because it is beyond our minds to be able to think in that fashion. But that's the God and the church. The church is so important to him that Jesus Christ was willing to give. And I know when we look around and, boy, we see all the imperfections but He promises one day it will be presented spotless, without blemish, as it ought to be. Now, notice I said I wanted to just to focus really here for a few moments on verse 20 of this. Guy King said in his comment on this verse, he said, No simpler words could be found in all the dictionary. No profounder truth could be found in all the language apart from everything else we have here one of the greatest of all the prayer secrets in the Word of God. Brink's commentary says that Jesus can be present wherever people are gathered in His name. It speaks of His divinity. No one except God is omnipresent. The certainty that prayer will be heard does not depend on the size of the church nor the virtue or the capability of the believers, but on the presence of Jesus. The rabbi said, if two are agreed and speaks the words of the Torah, the Shekinah, the dwelling of God, is in their midst. So we see that Jesus takes on Himself the place of the Torah and that in Him, God is present on earth. Jesus couldn't be any more God if He were God the Father. We find that Gill says here, this seems to be said in opposition to a Jewish notion that a number less than 10 is not a congregation. There's a whole lot of that thought around today too, isn't there? (laughs) If you don't have a certain number, then you're just not important enough. Whereas though the number is ever so few that are met together to pray to God or to hear His Word, attend on His ordinances, or do the business of His house, or transact any affair that is for the glory of God and the good of souls, in my name, says Christ, That is, by His authority, depending on His assistance, calling upon His name and making use of and seeking the glory of it for Him. Folks, this went against everything that the Jews knew at that time. But yet, the truth is, many times, God's principles go against those that we see in practice all around us. I want us to look first of all here at the requirement of acquiring the presence of Christ in our midst. Jesus said, what is the requirements? I mean, do we really, really want Jesus Christ in our midst? Now, I know we get into a lot of areas because the fact is, if you're a child of God, then the Spirit lives in you. And if He's not there, then you don't belong to Him. That's simple Bible. Jesus Christ lives and dwells within each other. That's why that I got so excited when I first began to to grasp John chapter 14 when Jesus was talking about his necessity to go away. And, of course, we begin that chapter so many times when we're trying to comfort those that need comforting. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. He goes on a bit further down and he talks to them. And and wow, I mean, genuinely, I remember as a young preacher, the first time that I was looking at preaching on this and I I was trying to get my head around that verse when when Jesus Christ himself says, greater than these shall ye do, speaking of his works, because I go unto the Father. Now that was pretty mind-boggling. Greater than what Jesus did? How in the world is that ever going to be accomplished? But, of course, he goes on in that passage and he explains to us because it's, it's expedient for him to go away so that the Comforter can be sent back to us so that the Holy Spirit can live and dwell within any of you. You see, when Jesus Christ was here upon this earth, he was as 100% God as he could be, but he was also 100% man. He was limited to one body, and he walked from one place to another just like you and I go from one town to another town to another. But now, Jesus ought to be present in each and every one of us not just one body, but if Christ could be seen through us, truly Christ, that's tough. That's that's tough. We read all about the Apostle Paul's struggle. You know, why in the world? Why is it like this? Why do I do the things that I know that I shouldn't do? and Why don't I do the things that I know that I should do? And it's a struggle. But the whole truth that we find there is the reality of when that new man, when that new man has been born, Paul says, there when when he's talking about that to the Romans, he says, don't you remember that old man is dead? He died with Jesus Christ. Now you're alive in him. And the fact is, he wants to keep rearing his head. And that struggle is going to be there until we have that glorified body one day. But we see here that it really is not just Jesus Christ. All of this. It's about Christ being in us and Christ doing that through us, which we're not able to do for ourselves. But then he's also talking about Christ being in our midst when we gather together as a group. You know, we can come together and, 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 and many people all around the world are meeting in places called churches, some of them in buildings like this, some in their homes, some out in the, in, in the middle of places where they may not have anything to meet under, all coming together in the name of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, there's all kinds of different sizes. Some of them may be small groups, and there'll be large groups. And I've said to you before, you know, the truth of the matter is so many times, though, that man, just was found find here, things of importance can, can get kind of lopsided in man's thinking. And though that we may have this idea that bigger and grander is more important, that's never been true with God. The individual is important. And I've said to you before that real peace, real joy in your Christian life, you can be a Christian. You can go to heaven and make it to heaven one day, and you can be miserable every day between now and then if you want to, and a lot of Christians are. That's not what God wants for us, though. You know, the the psalmist had to cry out for God to restore unto him the joy of his salvation that he had lost. We find that the Bible speaks about a, a joy that is unspeakable, full of glory, about a peace that passeth all understanding. It doesn't even make sense. Folks, that's when Jesus is in the midst. First of all, for you as an individual, but then as a group, what does it require for the Lord Jesus Christ, for His presence in our midst? Well, as He's talking about the group here, first of all, the people, Christ is in His people. Christ will never be in the midst of any organization that comes together they can call themselves a church if they want to but if they're not genuine born again believers Christ isn't there because Christ is in the midst through his people the number present doesn't determine how much of Christ is there because folks he's not some kind of an entity that you can get a little bit of you know I can I can take this water up here and I can I can take it pour it and a lot of people think that I think that God's this way and Christ's this way and especially the Holy Spirit that you can have a little bit of it in there, or you can have a, a, a bit more. Or you can have a whole lot more if you want to. But if it wouldn't make a mess, I'm telling you that, you know, the Bible talks about having your cup filled and running over, praise God. The truth is, is that you don't have some. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. First of all, they all one. You can't have one without the other. That's mind-boggling enough. But the truth is, being filled with the Spirit is not you getting more of the Spirit. It's the Spirit getting more of you, isn't it? He's there as an individual. You can't have more of Him. You can't have less of Him. You either have Him or you don't have Him. It's that simple. And so the number of people coming together, it's not a question of how many are present. It's a question of whether... They're truly those that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether Jesus Christ is present in them. It only takes two or three gathered together. That unity that he's talking about there, working as, as, as one body. We won't take and turn for the sake of time, but we could go back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we could read to that chapter, and we could see where that he talks so much about the church there being like a body and the importance of of every part, and each and every one of us being a part of that, and each one fulfilling their part. It's not important if you're an arm that you act like a foot. (laughs) It's not important if you're the big toe that you act like an ear. It's recognizing your place, what God wants to do with you. I started there a while ago, and I didn't finish my statement that that true peace and joy and happiness that you can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that I've said it many times. It's got nothing to do with geography. It's got nothing to do with nationality. It's got everything to do with being in the center of God's will, wherever it might be on this globe. God doesn't see all those lines that man has drawn on there. God doesn't see all these things that men separates by, by this color or that color or this, this religion or that religion, and, and they're all separated. That's not the way God sees it, though. And the truth is, is that... The important thing for you is to be where God wants you. And it's important that you be part of a body, a body that is unified and working together. You know, you're never going to get anything accomplished if if you're trying to go separate ways all the time. We find that we could look into the book of Acts and we could find that in that situation, that it was that church that was in unity, that church that was going forth together in one, one heart and one mind and one accord God was using so much. Hebrews ten twenty five. you can make it what you want, but I'll tell you what God says. God says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some. There's plenty out there. There's plenty of them out there, but He says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And then He goes on and He says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We don't like to admit our need for each other a lot of times, but we need one another, and we need to be there. You're going to have down days, and you're going to have up days. But together, we're able to, to encourage one another. And I'll assure you this, that when Satan that we've talked about in several parts now as far as those those battles that he's going to bring against your life and what to expect and, and how to, to fight against those things, that, oh, he's going to be there. And usually, I correct that because I've told you many times, most of the time, Don't get to feeling so proud again that you're so important that it's the devil himself that's there doing it. Most of the time it's just your sinful flesh. (laughs) He's already tainted that enough in the whole world system that we saw this morning that he's prince of and that he's God of. He's already tainted it enough that that's all that, that most of us need to be pulled aside. But he's there and he's busy. But in fact, each and every one of us, if we want to truly know the presence, you see, I you, I don't want you to misunderstand. There's an awful lot of artificial rasmataz, build-it-up, emotionalism. Folks, there there, believe it or not, in a Baptist church, it's not a sin to say amen. It's actually not against the law to, to raise your hand and say, Praise the Lord, if 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 the Lord leads you to do it. Now, sometimes you would think that it that it was but it's not. But at the same time, we also believe God does things decently and in order. We don't try to work up your emotions around here to to get you swinging from the, I'm to say chandeliers. We don't have any of those, but we got the the ceiling fans and whatnot. We don't try to work up something that's artificial, either with the music or with, with, with what we're doing in this pulpit. We try to honor God with those things. We try to magnify Him. The truth is There's a difference, though, when Jesus is truly moving in our midst and when He's not. I hope that He's always here. But you see, what's the requirement for Him to be in our midst? He's present in every believer. We see that multiplied by the power of believers when they're joined together with true unity, with their combined presence. Now, that doesn't mean, again, keep in mind, that doesn't mean if you've got a thousand people, have you got more Jesuses than if you've got two or three? Absolutely not, because there's only one Jesus anyway. And I know, you know, well, but if He's in all of us, the truth is is that's what it requires. If Jesus is going to be in the group of people together, He's got to be in the individuals. And, of course, the purpose of them coming together, the requirement requires a people that Christ is present within, but it requires their purpose. They come together, he says here, in my name, where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's not really theologically deep. We don't have to go back to the Greek to figure that out. You know, in my name. Their common purpose is simple. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We go about this in all kinds of different ways. You know, how do we purpose in our hearts? Well, first of all, we, we stick to the Word of God. We study and we read the Word of God. It comes through the preaching, the teaching of God's Word, not just men's ideas, prayer and praise. And of course, God's left us with this great mission of reaching every human being that we possibly can with the message of the gospel. And so many times it's so easy to stay within the four walls and to get comfortable And yes, when we when we go out there and we start facing people, the Bible says that men are going to be offended by the gospel. Expect it. The Bible says if you live godly, you will suffer persecution. You're not going to allow Christ to be seen in your lives and not be offensive to those that are lost. That doesn't mean we go around, we just saw, it's not our purpose to offend anybody. We don't go around trying to offend people. But the truth, the truth will bring conviction many times. The requirement to have Jesus in the midst of our church is that individually, individually, He's never going to be here as long as you're looking at the other person. And all that He's tried to show us here in these things, individually, each and every one of us, give Him that preeminent place. Is Jesus Christ truly the most important thing in your life this evening? Is Him being seen in your life more important than your thoughts, your desires, your goals in life. You see, we've got to give Him the place that He requires. And that's the number one place. A people with it individually Christ has the preeminent place in your life and a people with a purpose, with a unified purpose, in, in, in one mind, in one spirit, a body working together for Jesus Christ, not for ourselves. You know, the whole purpose, I've said before, you know, many times we can pray for a lot of reasons. It's good that we don't want somebody to go to hell and that we want them to see them saved. But what we ought to really be praying is for the souls to be saved for His glory. That's the most important thing. Find that in the end, our life and our church, if we want Jesus in our midst, it's not because that we're going to have a lot of artificial hoopla It's because it's going to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is. He is what unites us together because He's present within us and He is our purpose and our goal in everything that we do. We want with Jesus Christ. If He's truly going to be seen, then it does mean being at one With our brothers and sisters in Christ, I wonder, I wrote down a simple question, are you here today for you and what you can get? Are you here? You know, so many people, and and, and I don't think there's anybody here for this reason tonight, so many people go to church nowadays because they're so used to being entertained, they want to go to church and they want somebody to entertain them. Folks, we're not here to entertain this evening. Maybe, you know, the truth is, is this will make you a little personal. Are you here this evening because that you want to get a blessing? Is that a bad thing? Most people like to be blessed. Or are you here for Jesus and what you can give to others? You see, I believe this this evening, that as long as you come through those doors selfishly for what it can do for you, that you're here for what you can get and the blessing that you can get, then it's never going to be as effective as you come through those doors to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ and to be a blessing to someone else for what you can give rather than what you can get. Christ is always, every principle that God gives us, is always on the giving, not the getting. The flesh is always the other way around. The economies of this world will tell you this the other way around. But that's not what He says. And here he says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. The requirement of his presence, the reality of his presence, there am I in the midst of them. Folks, there am I. This is Jesus talking. We're talking about the living Christ. We're talking about Jesus Christ himself you know many times this just becomes some abstract theology to us we're talking about jesus christ the person in person being present within each and every one of us the apostle john wrote back in the book of first john or one john whichever way that you prefer to say it is fine the first epistle that he he wrote in In 1 John chapter 1, notice he begins this chapter saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these three write we unto you that your joy may be full. Now, I'm not going to get mean and I'm not going to get sidetracked here. But true, true love, true fellowship can only come about in true unity. That doesn't doesn't mean that everybody's got to see everything just exactly like you see it. But see, when we start really putting Jesus Christ first and what He wants, and what makes somebody else happy instead of what makes me happy, suddenly those things will take care of themselves. Because suddenly it does become so important that that other person thinks like I think, because my thinking has changed altogether. Anyway, we find that as we look here, we find that the Bible is very, very clear that. As Jesus Christ comes, it's only at one with Him. In other words, if you're going to truly have fellowship with someone, you're not going to have fellowship if it's outside the truth. That's why we've been going through this whole series. What have we done? 33 sermons already on fundamentals, on contending for the faith. And the last part of those have been on some of the fundamentals of the faith. You know, we fight over a lot of things that we ought not to be fighting over. We let a lot of things slip that we ought not to let slide for anything in all of the world. We need to know what the fundamentals are. That faith was once for all delivered to the saints. And we need to stand there earnest. But the Bible says speaking the truth in love. You know, we don't have to go around trying to upset everybody because we've got all the answers. There am I in the midst of them, the living Christ. We find that we can look at many things to describe Him, but all I want you to grasp this evening is when we talk about Jesus Christ being in our midst, First of all, there's the requirement that Jesus is present in you. And then there's the requirement, not that there be hundreds or thousands, but that at least two or three people are together in unity in His name, where He is the central focus. And then we find that in that case there is the reality of Jesus Christ Himself being in our midst, we find that him, the one that is eternally God, you may have trouble getting an appointment to go down and have tea with the queen tomorrow. He just tried to ring her up and say, you know, I'm going to be in London. I just thought I'd maybe stop by and have a cup of tea with you. But the Bible says here you won't have any trouble getting an appointment with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. With no disrespect, with all respect due to the queen, his position is so far above hers that hers is nothing in comparison. You may have trouble getting in to see her, but you won't have trouble getting in to see this one. The results of this, well, what difference is it going to make if the Lord Jesus Christ is in our midst? I'm, I'm saying this evening, can, can, I, can I say this? And again, I don't I don't mean it nastily. Folks, we don't need any more play church. We don't need people playing games and playing their religious games we need to be real. And if anything is going to happen, anything that's going to affect eternity, it's got to be because, not because that we've got some great man in the pulpit, not because that we've got the greatest singers in the, in, in the city to, to draw people in. It's got to be because Jesus is in our midst. When people come into our church, do they sense the presence of Him. Is He the one that's being magnified? Is everything that we're doing in such unity, it's all for Him and for others rather than for me? We find that it's when He's there that there's going to be authority. We don't have any authority in our name, but notice it said there in verse 18, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The authority is in Christ. Now, again, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but there's an awful lot of people going around naming and claiming an awful lot of things in the name of Jesus that just because they speak His name, that doesn't mean that it's in His name, folks. I'm talking about when He really is the cause, the purpose and everything, when He's present in us and all that we're doing. You see, you know, the truth is, is that You could have either been here or not been here tonight. I can't preach to those that didn't come. But you're here. And the truth is that if you'd decided to stay at home tonight because you were just too tired or whatever, you know, you'd still be just as saved as you are right now. You wouldn't be any less a Christian than you are right now. And the truth is, if you only came along this evening because you came along because, well, you need a little boost or something, then you probably, you know, not getting what you ought to be getting out of this service tonight because you came focused on you, but if you came this evening because I tell you what it doesn't matter how tired i'm I'm tired this evening but i wouldn't i wouldn't I wouldn't want to be at home in bed or doing something else right now rather than being here why because he deserves it. It's Jesus when we can get our heads around this folks and 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 the truth is as a body, you know we yeah, we can function. Has anybody ever met anybody that's handicapped? <laughs> maybe they don't have use of an arm or maybe a leg or a foot. They, they still get around, but they may have a limp or they can't get around like they should. Most of our churches are handicapped today because there's a body. There's a foot missing here that, you know, that should be, and there's an arm gone over there that should be. If all of us coming together are making up that body as a whole, that body's not functioning the same. We can't turn that around. Don't get so proud to think, boy, God's not going to get it done if I'm not there. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. The Bible says we need each other. But the thing that we need each other for is not for me. It's for Jesus. It's that He can be magnified, that He can be glorified. He deserves to be worshiped. He deserves to have that preeminence in everything that we do. So the results is, yes, authority, power, Again, I say unto you there's two or three shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, again, we can't dwell here. How many of you drove a car here this evening? Came in some kind of a vehicle. Well, you probably wouldn't get upset if, if you didn't know it, but, but, I, but I said to you that, uh, you know, here's the keys to a brand new Mercedes out there. Whatever you came in. We want you to have this one and just take it and go home in it. It's yours. Probably wouldn't upset you. But you see, that's exactly what, a lot of people think that's exactly what God's there for. It all comes down to, again, what God can do for me. It's all selfishness. Many people think that this verse means, no, look, look where it's coming in the Scripture. And, And again, we've been there, and I just want to remind you this evening that if Jesus is in your midst. I'll tell you what, I don't think you're going to be worried about a new car. I don't think you're going to be worried about a bigger house. I don't think you're going to be worried about your prosperity in this life at all. I do not believe that will be what is on your mind and heart. Jesus Christ is truly in your midst. Now, He might be present in you, but He may not have His rightful place. Oh, yes, you can be saved and get off in the left and right field on some of these things. He's not saying here that you can just name it and claim it because you pray it in Jesus' name. He's talking about with Jesus Christ being in your midst, folks, you're not going to be wanting those selfish things. We're going to agree if everything that we're doing is focused upon Jesus, then what are we going to be praying for? matter of fact, he tells us that a lot of times our prayers don't answer. Why? Because we are praying prayers that we might uh, consume them upon our own lust. That's not the praying that he's speaking of here. Brother Steve, he's talking about Jesus being in our midst. And boy, if Jesus is in our midst, even if it's only two or three of us. That doesn't mean if you got two or three thousand that the same thing can't be. It just doesn't take the two or three thousand. It takes two or three people with Jesus Christ truly being in their lives and them truly giving Him the rightful place and Jesus being the center of all they're wanting to do, Him being the reason, the purpose behind everything that they're doing, for Him to truly move in their midst. And it means then that there's going to be authority and power that wouldn't be there otherwise. It's going to be comfort and joy, vision, challenge, so many things that come along with it. As I look through the Scriptures, I see a lot of things that only happen because Jesus was there. I see so many miracles. The water being turned to wine. Nets being filled with fish when the fishermen couldn't catch any. Demons being put out. Lepers being cleansed. Paralytics walking, the healing of the impotent, the withered hand, the issue of blood, the blind receiving sight, and the deaf being made to hear, even the dead receiving life. Folks, again, I'm not making light. That's the greatest miracle of all, isn't it? (laughs) But the truth is, we ought to be excited. That takes place. When someone comes, to, that's the greatest miracle, when spiritually someone dead is made alive. Wow, what rejoicing that brings in heaven. Now, does that mean that we don't believe that Jesus can do it? No, I believe He did every one of them. I don't think the miracles are there just as, as comic stories to tell us something. I believe they're all real. And I think that it's probably beyond what we would even feel comfortable with sometimes if truly it's Jesus that's in our midst and we're not trying to do things ourselves, if it's Him, 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 it might surprise some of us just what He would do around us in our lives. I don't believe that. I believe there was a purpose for the miracles in the first century church. I believe there was a purpose when Jesus was upon this earth. I believe that there were signs and gifts that were given to those apostles. Because, folks, what you and I have today, the completed Word of God was still being written. It was to evidence those men for who they were. We've got God's Word. And and, and, you know, the truth is, is that the Bible itself tells us there can be lying wonders and miracles that aren't real. We can't trust something. And again, so many people, they're, they're taking and they're interpreting the Word of God based upon their experiences. When we ought to be interpreting our experiences based upon the Word of God. Adam Clark says in his commentary on this verse, Let it be observed that Jesus is not among them to spy out their sins, to mark down their imperfections of their worship, but to enlighten, strengthen, comfort, to save them. John Wesley said in his comment on this verse, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, that is to worship me, I am in the midst of them by my spirit, to quicken their prayers, guide their counsels, and answer their petitions. And, of course, always one of my favorites, Mr. Spurgeon. He's never the shortest. Spurgeon's comment says, The presence of Jesus is the fixed center of the assembly, the warrant for its coming together, the power with which it acts. The church, however small, is gathered in His name. Jesus is there first. I am in the midst of them. We are gathered together by the holy impulses of Christian brotherhood, and our meeting is in the name of Jesus, and therefore there he is, near not only to the leader or to the minister, but in the midst, and therefore near to each worshiper. We meet to do him honor, to hear his word, to stir each other up, to obey his will, and he is there to aid us. However small the number, we make a quorum. What is done according to the laws of Christ is done with His authority. Hence it is that there is great power in united prayer for such persons. It is Jesus pleading in His saints, this should prevent Christian men from giving or taking offense. For if Jesus be in our midst, our peace must not be broken by strife. That's a pretty good summary of those verses. The simple truth is, I said earlier, too many of us are playing Christianity. Too many are playing church. You know, I I can honestly say, I said before, you know, I am so glad and I am so happy. Ah, I'm not going to tell you how long I've been preaching. You'll figure out how old I am. truth is, there have always, there have always There have always been those that would come along and always hang around on the peripheral out there somewhere. Never really be committed, never really be involved. You might see them once a week. You might see them twice a week. The truth is, is that I thank God for every one of them. I do. I wouldn't want them to not be there. And thank God that they are there. But folks, even their lives, if they're going to really be changed, It's got to be because somebody is committed. Somebody is committed to the fact that the most important thing in their life is the Jesus Christ that lives within them. Nothing matters more than that. And if this church is going to exist, and if it's going to continue to exist, and if it's going to accomplish anything for His glory, then it's going to be because those committed people that are genuinely committed to Christ are committed together for His purpose. Not what makes us happy, not what makes us feel good, but that He might truly be magnified individually and cooperatively. Jesus Christ is the only thing that can make a difference and the only way. I didn't choose it this way, He designed it this way. He chose to live in you and to live in me. I could have found somewhere better to live for me, I think, but that's where He's chosen. And my big job and your job is to get me out of the way. Let him have the throne, the rightful place, and to put others before me. Folks, if there's anybody here tonight or somewhere else, you know, the responsibility is you can never truly, truly be in your own relationship with the Lord, in the position that you ought to be, if you're allowing discord to be there that you're not dealing with. That goes for within our church as well as outside of our church. This evening, I'm just saying to you as your pastor, folks, I've got, I got nothing to offer. I've got nothing that can make a difference, and I'm not trying to be super. Humble. I know me better than any of you. The more you know me, the probably the less, the less you'll like me. But I can tell you this with all of my heart. There's nothing I want more with my life than for the Lord Jesus Christ to have it. You look around this church very long, you're going to find a lot of imperfections. Oh, but I'll tell you this. More than anything else, I want Jesus to be in our midst. I want us to be united together in Him in such a way that everything is about Him and everything is for Him that a difference can be made not because of what we can do but because we can get out of the way and let Him do it. It's so easy to talk these things and, 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 and the problem is sometimes... We get so religious in everything that we do and everything that we talk because we know all the language and we say all the right words and we can quote all the right verses. But what's happening in our heart? Does He really have control of my heart? Is He really the most important thing in the world to me? And is He really the most important thing in the world to this church? And are you here this evening? Not for what you can get, but are you here for Him and what you can give and what He can give through you? Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I know that this is such a simple verse. These have been such simple thoughts. But Lord, you know you knew who would be here tonight and who wouldn't, and I didn't know that. I do know that it's without any shadow of a doubt the message you laid upon our heart. Lord, I pray that you would just take knowing Lord, whatever the need is here this evening, even if nothing can be gained from Anything that this preacher has said, that from your word that's been read, your word that's been spoken, the Lord will speak to hearts. Somehow, Father, don't let us leave here the same as we came. Lord, we've got a journey in this life. Lord, I pray that we can some way, somehow, not because of man or building, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ being in our midst, Lord, that lives can be changed and conformed to be more into His image, and that somehow He'll be seen innocent. Help us remember, Lord, we're not doing it for man. And It's not the numbers that are important, but it's Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen.